Van, help me. Hello, Van. How are you? Oh, I'm just here to engage in community life, Marcus. It's so lovely to be here. What a privilege. <laughs> I mean, for goodness sake, this is the Premier of New South Wales, and I know that they're under pressure. I get all of this, but this sort of rhetoric is ridiculous. We know that people value their freedom like, you know, like it's some sort of privilege. Now, we live in Australia, Gladys. Freedoms are a given we don't desire to have freedom. We damn well deserve it because we're a democratic society. Well, at least we thought we were. Van- oh, no. Look, Marcus, <laughs> I hear you. I'm finding the press conferences extremely frustrating as well because there's a, a lot of there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of rhetoric, but there's not a lot of planning, like we're aiming for this, we want this, this is what we think, and there's no admission that mm. things have gone wrong. Every day we're hearing these case numbers that are growing more and more worrying. Yeah. Every day it becomes more and more clear that the New South, Go- New South Wales government have lost control of the virus and are desperately trying to catch up. What and that you- things we knew they needed to do weren't done, you know? Like, what did we go through all of those lockdowns in Victoria for if it wasn't to show everybody what you have to do to deal with the virus, how to get things under control... And some of the things that were said about Victoria, what we did there, was so insulting to Victorians. And now we are where we are. Well, All right. What do you make of vaccine passports before we move on? Look, I've got to say I'm in favour of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very fond of, fond of passports. I have a passport. <laughs> and I'm not frightened of needing a vaccine to travel somewhere because yeah. I have travelled in my life and have quite happily got the vaccine to do that. And we're looking at a situation, quite frankly, where um, we ha- we have to get on top of this virus. And one of the things that they've learned in the overseas example, and they've learned it in France, they're learning it in New York, is that if you make having a vaccine, uh, what you need to get into a restaurant or go to a show or, or rejoin public life again, it's an incredibly good motivation for those who've been putting off the vaccine or, you know, reading crazy misinformation on the internet and, and not wanting um, to get one. Well, it's amazing how much their opinion changes when it's like, do you want to eat at a restaurant or not um, to get them lickety split to get their vaccine? So, you know, I'm not scared of vaccine passports for the same reason I'm not scared of passports that, you know, we except we have to take responsibility for one another and one another's safety and that there are things that the vaccinated should be able to do freely that the unvaccinated um, prevent us from doing. I understand the situation is a bit different in Australia than it is to the United States where they really have a problem with people refusing to get it, whereas obviously we know heaps of Australians who would love to get a vaccine and can't because Mm -hmm. of the federal government's mismanagement. But uh, but I think that's definitely where we're heading. The only issue I have is that if you start calling for things like uh, vaccine passports, say, next month in New South Wales, what about the people who are on waiting lists, say, into September, October, November? All it will simply do is um, create division of an us 
v them and it will unfortunately um, discriminate against people who want to get vaccinated but can't because of the short supply that's that's the only thing that concerns me i don't have an issue at all with a vaccine passport system uh, i just don't want us to go too early on it because it'll just cause further division and frustration for an already frustrated uh, population yeah and a lot of resentment i mean this is the key difference in australia is that here we have people who want the vaccine, who desperately want to get vaccinated and it, that opportunity hasn't been provided to them or has been denied them where you see those people who, whose bookings have been ripped away yeah. because, you know, the New South Wales government has got another sort of brain-snappy plan. And, of course, this is the issue. You know, it's the right system to have a vaccine passport system so we can try and sort of get ourselves back to normal mm-hmm. by... The absolute hash that the New South Wales government and the federal government have made of the vaccine rollout just means uh, another kind of administrative um, hurdle to jump starts looking like absolute inevitable chaos. You know, if they can't organise vaccines, if they can't if they can't organise quarantine, my confidence in their ability to um, roll out a vaccine passport system is pretty low, unfortunately. Fair enough. Pretty low. Now, let's get completely away from COVID onto something that's not often spoken about, uh, particularly on breakfast radio. So uh, bear in mind, if you are having uh, breakfast right now, this is a discussion that may be a little off-putting. And certainly for my male listeners, I don't want to say it'd be off-putting, but it's, it's maybe something you know, I don't identify with. But I can't believe this. I have heard that before, you know, um, there have been arguments that women's sanitary products should be made free. And a world first survey into menstruation habits has highlighted the prevalence of period poverty and stigma surrounding periods or menstruation in Australia. And I can't believe this, Van. Many Australian women are resorting to using things like toilet paper, socks or other unsuitable alternatives to manage their period. I mean, what? Well, yeah, of course. It's very expensive to be um, a menstruating woman in this country. I mean, let's remember, these products are not free. You know, these products are, are something that you buy at a price premium at the supermarket. And if you're in a vulnerable financial situation, yeah. that can be really onerous. Like, if you're in a situation where you're counting every cent in order to stay alive mm-hmm. and you're having to feed yourself, particularly if you've got dependent children, like, that's a burden. And I want people to think about this as well. Women who are in extremely marginal situations who are perhaps vulnerable to family violence and coercive control. Yeah. Controlling women's finances, their ability to purchase things like menstrual products, is a way of keeping women controlled. So if you Mm. know that you can't leave the house because you're menstruating and you don't have sanitary products, it's a really effective way of keeping you trapped there. And the issue, of course, is if you can't afford sanitary products, you can't really engage in social life at all. You You can't work. You can't go and get any kind of you know, educational help. You can't visit social services. You can't connect with neighbours or friends. And we've seen this in, in various communities of terrible poverty in this country, that 
this is one of the ways that women who are in extreme poverty stay in extreme poverty because they can't access society for days of the month because they can't afford, they don't have the resources to protect themselves from their period. What would be... terrible market. Oh, well, I could only imagine. What would be the answer? I mean, we have uh, free healthcare, if you like, in Australia via Medicare. Um, You know, we're very lucky here in Australia in comparison to a number of other nations that we still, at this stage, have Medicare. Should perhaps women's sanitary products be made available, uh, regulated through Medicare and, and thus provided free of charge for those women who have a Medicare card? Yes, absolutely. And we should be making those products available in public toilets everywhere. Yeah. We should yeah. be making those products available at schools. Because let's remember, like young women uh, who are menstruating, they're like educational access is compromised if their family doesn't have the money to provide them with those those kind of products. And at the moment, you know, you have some really great organisations and institutions who do make those things available. They do, uh, they are aware of the fact it's an access and equity issue. In Victoria, there's an awesome organisation called the Norbin Period Project, who I want to give a shout out to. Yeah. in celebrating marvellous um, Melbourne Period Project. They do collections, encourage donations, get supplies around to people. But that's a... that's We're lucky to have that organisation well, which right. exists as an act of self-will. But really, governments have to take responsibility for this, like I said, as an access and equity issue. And they do this in other countries as well, that there are places where sanitary pads and tampons and other things are always available so people can have the dignity of acquiring those products without putting themselves in in really marginal financial and economic circumstances or finding themselves controlled and limited because they can't leave their house when they're menstruating. Yep. So we need to take responsibility for that as a society and go, hang on, that's an enormous amount of exclusion that we're facilitating just because we feel a bit uncomfortable talking about people. Well, at one, point in, uh, at one point in time, nearly half the population is affected by this and uh, we shouldn't allow those who are marginalised to suffer what has now become known as period poverty, for goodness sake. Van, always good to have you on the program. We'll chat again next week. Appreciate it. Oh, you're a good ally, Marcus. Thank you for bringing this up. I mean, it's super important. And just because people don't think of it immediately doesn't mean it's not a massive issue. So thanks, buddy. All right, mate. No worries. I'll talk next week. There she is, the Guardian's Van Badham.